Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode 43 of the How We See Things podcast. I am Stace Manix, and I'm here with Dan. Dan, how you doing? I'm good. I'm good, Broski. Hello, everyone. Um, it's been a couple of weeks now, I think. Yeah, it's been, uh, it's been a couple of a couple of weeks, maybe two. We've been away for for like two weeks now. Um, yeah. For varying reasons. Um, and and in, in that time, like, you know, a lot has happened in the world. Um, a lot has happened to one of our favorite, like, subject areas, Nigeria. Uh-huh. Um, and a lot has happened in the world. So we'll start with, we'll start with the home front and we're just like jumping in. Um, yeah. cause like there's yeah, no, yeah. there's no football. There's nothing to like even, we'll just jump in. Our, our friend, President Bola Ahmed Tinubu has be been busy. Um, has been busy. Our friend, uh, I next selected president, the villain in many of our tirades, however you want to describe him. Tinubu has been quite busy, essentially, you know, in the past few weeks sure. since he was, since he was inaugurated. Um, pick any one of these, like recently, you know, announced, signed, um, you know, moves. Pick any one of them and just like, you know, give me, tell me, tell me how, how you see things. Yeah. So I think, I have to start with the fuel subsidy, right? Because I okay. think that's the widest. Explain widest. what happened for the people now. Like when you talk so, about fuel subsidy. Yeah, just um, inauguration um, speech. So this is when Tinubu was being anointed, quote unquote, in terms of swearing his oath of office and being given all the official stamps and the mace and all these um, things. Um, and then it's kind of in his speech, the notion kind of setting out his initial plan. The first thing he mentions is, you know, obviously thanking Nigerians for putting their faith in him. Um, somewhat ironic, um, that particular statement amongst other things that he plans to do. And then he drops quite a significant bomb on, when I say bomb, obviously we're talking about, you know, uh, we're not talking about an actual. We're talking about theory, you know, in in the, the theory. Um, yeah, within, within the Nigerian like economic like context. Yeah, know, the price of the price of fuel, the fuel subsidy question hangs over everybody's head, and and we kind of like we kind of like beat that drum like last episode. So we spent mm. a lot of time talking about like you know the the what subsidy. It was. But, yeah, but I think, uh, but what, I want to I want to put it in like a in like a larger like economic context because you know yeah. you see you read like in the Financial Times the coverage of like Tinubu's moves like in in Bloomberg in the in the Times as well like New York Times I'm talking about this time. Um it's like okay this is a president you know, mm-hmm. who is marred by shadow of, you know, election on malfeasance, but within the first few weeks or something has made some tough but necessary calls that will be good for the Nigerian economy in the long run. Do you I buy that? Um, to an extent, I do, purely because solid economics, solid economics. So, you know, the government has for many years in Nigeria subsidized a number of things. Um, one of them being fuel and that's mm-hmm. obviously affects day-to-day living, right? Because that fuel is what you need to drive your car to go to work. It's what farmers need to transport their goods to market. It's what, um, service industry requires to 
um, restock resources. It's what manufacturers need to get the raw materials to get to secondary it's points. It's an integral of, part of like it's an integral part, yeah. yeah. And what that means when you remove the subsidy is fuel is the actual price on the market. People are actually having to pay the actual price of what fuel is on the market, as opposed to the government helping them out, quote unquote, and making it um, artificially lower. Mm. I have. The, the, the theory goes that the money that's saved from the government not having to subsidize fuel then goes into the education system, into healthcare, goes into infrastructural development. Ergo, that then makes Nigeria a more um, prosperous or an advanced um, or developing nation yeah, because yeah. there will be better jobs opportunities, obviously flowing from better infrastructure and things like that. That's the theory. The issue I have with that kind of summation is ultimately can this government be trusted to do that? Where is the money going? There is little to no accountability in respect of the funds that will be saved. Um, I'm talking about trillions of dollars at this rate because the subsidy is a huge amount that the government does pay. So um, one thing about on how we see things, we have to be. I think we'll be fair, and I will say. No, and, and and you know, you, you had mentioned that you're good, that you were going to surprise me. I guess without having, I think I might surprise you when it comes to this like subject area, this topic. So one, this I saw on Twitter, one insult I saw from people online, people who I think are on the Peter B side, people who mm. are firmly mm. against, as against Tinubu and everything he stands for, as we like to think of ourselves, um, as and they were dissing like you know, a lot of people are trying to form based on what they read in their secondary school economics textbook, trying to, you know, give Tinubu unnecessary credit. Um, some people are arguing that, you know, a lot of the stuff that Tinubu was doing was already set in motion by Buari. And yeah, Tinubu I mean, just... on, the fuel, on the fuel subsidy thing, and that's that's the point I was just last part. Yeah, I, I mean, there, there, there was fuel subsidy. He, oh, signed this, he signed this electricity bill into law that yeah. kind of decentralizes, like, power supply, and that opens, like, actually, like, formally opens the path for renewable energy to play a role um, in Nigeria. Well, actually, did... you know, Buhari removed the fuel subsidy from the last budget. The budget he signed, the last ever budget he signed, he didn't actually allocate the subsidy amount. So Tinumbu in many ways was trying to get ahead of the, you know, the the, the bad news, right? Yeah. My issue with him is it's always the hammer. There's never the, the carrot. There's never the palliative, there should be palliative measures, right? I, 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 I think of that as a political question. And and, and, that, and this is what I'm saying, like, I, I would surprise, like, or I might surprise you, because I think I, mm. I, I did to an extent in the last episode when I said I agree with the with the move to remove subsidy. And yeah. If, yeah. If, you're, if you're thinking about, like, like a theory, the market has to has to do the work. Um, and like I'm saying, like the, the coverage of Tinubu so, so far, I think, you know, in the Western world has been largely about like the economic measures. So Tinubu seems like a capitalist. That is, that should be pleasing, I think, to the ears of most Nigerians because the, the, we need, we need like a turn of capitalism, you know, not, not the crony type that we've had in the past, but like actual like market friendly, like like governance that that allows competition to thrive, that yeah. allows access to information. So basically, that what capitalism is a perfect scenario where buyer and seller can negotiate, you know, for goods and services, and there's enough information available to everybody to make 
um, the right decision. So removing fuel subsidy. Okay, the government has no role in subsidizing how much fuel should how much fuel should cost. The government has no role in doing that. What the government should try and help is to make it cheaper for people yeah. to buy um, fuel. So the, like the, there's going to be short term pain for sure. But I think I think the market always trends like downwards. Essentially, like price, it's gonna like it, it's gonna eventually the curve is going to eventually come down because yeah. you know um, um, as people like you know find alternative like sources of like fuel, um, it's it's definitely going to like, I think encourage exploration of you know the oh, I think um, oil, oil processing locally as well to reduce the cost. The fuel subsidy renew- removal, I think we're both to be honest. It w- whilst we are obedient you know we we're not um disingenuous and i think anybody who has this kind of fairly moderate understanding of economics and the idea of buy and sell give and take demand and supply um reallocation of resources understands that you can't subsidize at that scale and i think one of the biggest things with subsidization that i hadn't really appreciated until tunumbo finally started talking about it is the leakage from Nigeria to other neighboring countries. And that is a big problem because at least in Nigeria, you can kind of track subsidize you can you can you can say, okay, people are using X amount of you know fuel in terms of travel and whatever and whatever, and business is using it and it it, it tells in the food sources, it tells in our everyday economics. Yeah. You can't really measure the leakage. And the percentages that were being said, you know, were kind of like we're talking like thirty percent of yeah, whatever you're, was so, you're talking about leakage related to like the actual drilling, you know, the actual drilling exploration, the actual like fuel itself. No, necessarily. The, I mean that one. The, that that, that no, that's an issue because yeah, those those from it's the Niger rampant, Delta, it's rampant corruption. Do you understand? Yeah, yeah, there's, that, there's that, that, there's that, that, it's like an albatross hanging over hanging over the markets in Nigeria, like yeah. and that's like corruption. But the so, actual like, consumerism people, as well. So we're talking about. Um, there was riots in, was it Benet or Niger? One of those two. Um, for a couple of days, there were some kind of skirmishes when Nigeria brought in the fuel subsidy. And that tells yes. you that <laughs> there's, when I say leakage, I mean, there's obviously an amount that the Nigerian government was paying towards the end product or kind of in the production of these from crude oil to petrol that was not accounted for in Nigeria. So... Mm-hmm. They were taking 100% profit for maybe 70% only coming to Nigeria, right? And then they're making their money doubly, collecting money from those respective other countries in respect of producing, also, I guess, collecting the same kind of fee for... Yeah, I mean, we're, we're talking about the, the corruption. Like, we're yeah. talking about the same thing. Like, it's, it's a racket, essentially, like an albatross hanging over the head of that sector specifically that makes things difficult. And, you know... Part, part of the way that the opposing side fights back is by, like we talked about in the last episode, fuel stations and me, because that's that's the mafia. It's it's the supplier mafia. It's the yeah. downstream mafia of like gas filling stations, actual distributors, the people who get the fuel from wherever it's processed, you know, or refined, sorry, to Nigeria and uh-huh. sell it like, you know, in, in the retail way. Those are the people that them, them are fighting against. And I think he had a meeting with them after um tanker drivers association or something like that like and that's whole um organism but like even even in the fx you know ex- exchange rates sector um, sector of things because that's yes. another move that like Cindy made. Of so so he removed the official 
one I, I, we'll get to this after this FX one, but the one I can't agree with is this education learn thing. But we'll talk about FX for now. Yeah, yeah, like it's 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 still it's it's of a piece basically. I mean, there, there's a lot of smoke, and maybe we'll cover the politics of it as well. But in yeah. terms of policy, the idea being that like. For some reason, Buari being the creature of the forties or fifties that he is, a bad boy. He has a he has a mercantilist understanding of the world. So, like, it's very con- government control, government this thing. So, there there was a period where, just to give everybody some some background and context, there was a period where, okay, no, second back, the only source of dollars in Nigeria or the biggest source of dollars in Nigeria is from the sales proceeds from sales of oil. That's where we get that actual foreign currency. And the problem is that on the other side, in Nigeria, we don't produce much. So whatever we have that we use, the consumer goods that we have are imported from abroad. The major currency for imports and exports being used all around the world is dollar. Um, And so if you want to be able to have the nice things that you have in Nigeria, the cars, the clothes, whatever, you need dollar. Um, And supply of dollar, I think, like impacts, we we can all imagine following from that that the supply of dollar impacts like you know the prices of local goods and services like within um nigeria locally so when the price of oil there was, there was like a fall a huge like you know fall in oil prices there was a boom at first that's how nigeria got into the problem that you know it's gotten into so we've had this whole thing about black gold there was a boom at first but yeah. then there was like a huge like you know um, um crash in oil prices that affected like you know dollar Naira exchange rates basically, um, because people couldn't access dollars like you know locally in Nigeria, and then it didn't help that Good Luck Jonathan shared a lot of the dollars when he was running for election, so he gave it to a bunch of his friends and traditional rulers and everything. Allegedly. And then Buari came, Buari came in with I don't even know if we call it good intentions, bad intentions, or what, but he came in and decided that his own solution would be to declare what the price of dollars. So like up until then, as I've explained, the price of dollar was determined by the market, supply and demand. Buari said no, as the government, which in theory, in theory, governments have been known to do in the past and can do. That's why I refer to Buari as a mercantilist. Like he, he has 1920s, 1930s type of thinking. So he came in and said, you know what? It's the government that should set the price of dollar. So him and Emefile and his people decided that they were going to fix the price 400 or something. And that they will now also restrict all the people who have access to dollars in the country. Dollars, so yeah, yeah. only people yeah. who like belong to certain like sectors. And if you that caused the explosion of the exchange rate that we see now, this whole 700, 600, because what it meant was that you could only get dollars from one specific source. And not only that, there was already like a, a huge variance between, you know, that, that's why they're looking for a mayfield to send him to prison. Because if you think about it, for a while, like only it's somebody like, who was interested rig- in scamming. It's like rigging, it's like it's, rigging the the currency, really. And, bro, and it's it's actually you know epic scam. I I think that this is where that what I call that very destructive mild incompetence comes to mm. play because when you see someone like um, MFLA and you see someone like Buhari, at what point do you start to say, okay, what's Buhari's and this is why who you choose as leader is very mm. important because that then flows down to who they appoint because appointments are very different because an appointee hasn't been elected. They, yeah. they have no 
um, kind of just um, a leader on the people right. that he that he appoints and, as well. And yeah. that's why for me, Buhari was particularly problematic for Nigeria. He had this, like you say, 1920s, 1930s backwards way of thinking about government. Um, you know, he's a pseudo dictator, right? Mm-hmm. Someone who believes that if he's firm and he says something will be the way it is, that everybody will just toe the line. However, the world has moved ahead. Like we have something called a market. We have he something doesn't, called he doesn't market give it forces. We have things called um, political spheres of influence. We have things called geopolitical um, um, signals. We have things to do with um, that affect the way finance works. We have new world order. And when I talk about new world order, I talk about the fact that China's kind of hundreds year of shame turned into mm. China being the world's largest creditor in terms of the US owes China, India yeah, owes yeah. China, most of Africa owes China, Europe, the EU owes China. Like, so the idea that, okay, this world is, you know, I can set this rate, right? Like you said, and then the world will bend. The dollar is going to bend. So, so this, I've set it here. It's going to bend. It might fluctuate a bit, but because I've set it here and I've told people this is what it is, it's going to. It's very, very naive thinking, and it's no, um, it's, it's very naive. And 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 I think the, the key element yeah. of of, of naivete is that it did not factor the greediness and the um. scamminess that exists within Nigeria. And so you, you say there is an official supply of dollars. So from 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 day one when they implemented that policy, there was like a hundred naira. Also, gap between yeah. black market and FX. The moment they announced they announced the policy, thirty minutes later, that 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 delta has shot up to two hundred. Because what you're saying is that there's an official supply of dollars at a specific price, and a much harder to get like supply of dollars like outside for like you're, you're effectively creating a parallel market. And what is alleged is that Emifili personally profited from that. It's like, so like in on paper, depending on how you do it. The government does try to, like, you know, through monetary and fiscal policy, basically affect both the, you know, value of their currency locally and yeah. the exchange rates. So they, sometimes the government tries to affect the supply of money within uh-huh. the country so that, like, interest rates would go down. How they do it so that interest rates will go up or go down. Because, like, you know, if, if interest rates are high, then that means people can borrow money, then the economy is not working. Uh, properly if interest rates are too low on the other hand then people are, are collecting too much money and then it cause inflation like so like there's they, like a push and pull the government does have a role to play but when the worry first of all will come it is blockhead mindset and then you now leave the avenue for oh if if you know somebody within cbn you can get dollars yeah. That's 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 where everything just started. Like, it's not a proper you know, way. Yeah, and it's not a proper way to run a business. It's not, it's not a proper way to run to run a business, run a country, and run the business kind of CBN and then the country on top of that. You know, it's kind of just like it's. So that's if if anybody is trying to understand like how Nigeria got to be fucked up within the eight years of Kwari, that's literally it has to do with dollars. Because, like I said, second back, you don't produce anything in Nigeria. So whatever you have, most most of the things that you have are uh-huh. imported. The only way you can get something imported is by having dollars. The only way you can get dollars locally in Nigeria is if you buy it from black market or you buy it from CBN. Yeah. So basically, that as in, so the economy and everything has been fucked. That's why Peter Obi, when he was preaching, was preaching a lot about like getting Nigeria to be a producing country. But yeah. if you make things locally, you increase your GDP, you strengthen your currency, the economy becomes better. There are all these like like knock on effects 
basically, you know, that happened I mean, by virtue of like local production increasing. And when we talk about local production, it's very simple. I'll give you an analogy. Um, let's talk about um, making shoes, for example. Mm. Um, the rubber tapper gets involved as the primary producer of rubber, right, for shoe soles. Yeah. yeah. Then those that, you know, manufacture, turn it into rubber from the glue into actual rubber, there's another inform stream. There's another Nigerian or Nigerians employed. Then that goes into the shoemakers, right? The manufacturers who then churn out tens of thousands yeah. of these shoes. And then that goes into the logistics, the trailer guys who transport it from the factories. Again, this is very simplistic to... So what then happens... No, it's it's that, simplistic, but it's the way to yeah. think about it. You know, yeah. And I even raise you, those people take their hard-earned salary, they go back home, they spend That's money cool. on Mama Tokbe's yeah. shop opposite them. Mama Tokbe yeah. now has extra yeah. 20 naira in her pocket that she then gives to her son to take to school the next day to buy gallon. Like that's that's how like money that's spreads. How everyone gets better. Everyone gets yeah. richer in a communal and this is the funny thing about capitalism. In many ways it relies on the communal approach of spending money. This is the thing about capitalism. You rely on a mass spending effect. That's how it works. When people yeah. talk about a recession, it's, what they that, mean that's is the market. That essentially, yeah. And 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 it's always so funny to me when people get ideological about these things without understanding or trying to contextualize these economic policies. And I think this is one of my biggest issues with Tinumbo. Clearly a very smart man, clearly has some of the right ideas. Yeah. We can't, we've already espoused some of them here. My issue, and I take this to an issue that isn't so much black and white in terms of money come, demand the supply, education. Mm. When you're talking about the Nigerian system, one of the best things I think about the Nigerian system, it's unfortunate about the quality now, but when we talk to our parents, when we talk to kind of older generations, public education in Nigeria was of very good quality. For those listeners in the UK, when we talk about public education, it's kind of flipped here. We're not talking about um, schools that are... Um, publicly fund that that are um, what's the best way to put it? They're not um, fee paying schools. That's the best way yeah. to put it. Those are the, when we talk about publicly funded in Nigeria. They're strictly students pay pittance. Like there's a subsidy essentially on like higher yeah. education, right? Um, and in some places, there's even free primary school education if you go to a, a government. I, mean, I used to think of it as a subsidy, but it's not. It's it, they're just cheaper. Well, but this is the thing. That's what yeah. I'm saying. The yeah, issue cheaper. I have with this loan yeah, system, cheaper. apart mm-hmm. from the fact that one of the terms, depending on the amount that you need, requires a 10-year qualified lawyer, which is ridiculous. Um, <laughs> some of the stipulations, yeah, some of the stipulations on the loans are very, very odd in terms of who your guarantor has to be. For oh, the loan. right. Um, that, you know, that yeah. I find that very restrictive. Secondly, and this is the key thing, we know Tinubu from Lagos. He mm. doesn't give you something for nothing. Why was it that IRS became, you know, this guy had lived in the US. He saw that taxation can be is can be a very good moneymaker for local government or even mm-hmm. regional. And now he's taking it national. The problem is, like we said, you he because ultimately where this is going is that public education in Nigeria is going to become more expensive. This is the thing. 
He I don't think it's a bad thing in public education and that becomes never more expensive. I never said it was a bad thing. I never said it was a bad thing. But the challenge mm-hmm. is you have to take people along. This has to be a gradual thing. You don't just all of a sudden wake up one day and I know this bill has been in the house. Yeah, sure, great. But you need, it's taking people steps on a journey. The people have to be acclimatized. It's like boiling a frog, right? You start to increase the heat until the frog doesn't realize and the, and the, the butter is hot. You understand? Oh. Even Nigerians, it's like with the fuel subsidy thing. There was no palliative. There was no palliative. Sorry, I don't. I don't, I don't know. I don't know if I think it should give it's people. Similar. I think it should give people more credits. One. Also, I I I, I, I don't yeah. know how much of a preamble is needed. You know where you want to go. So if if the end goal is to improve lo- um, local education in Nigeria, uh-huh. so improve the state of education in Nigeria. I think one such way to do that, because you were, try, you were trying to say that like a subsidized, I don't think it's subsidized. Those schools are, those schools are just, just a lot cheaper. Let me reference. And even, even those even no, no, those subsidy now. No, no, it's subsidy. subsidy. No, no, too. Because even those government... public universities that are like 20k, 30k, there are still people that have to go through stress to pay their school fees. Yes, and that's... You're when, making when my in, point. In like for you, whatever, whichever school fee is 100k a year, whatever. This man, people this actually have to like, struggle to pay it. You're making my point. Okay. The vast majority of Nigerians are still under the poverty line. So, that in itself, you can't just all of a sudden one day bring in this loan structure. Because what will then happen now is they will say, to facilitate the loan, they have to increase the fees so that the quality is improved, which is what you need to do. Right, but my challenge is, you don't say no. The reason why it's subsidized. Let me explain why it's subsidized. The government was paying in terms of budget. Was saying to universities and guys, just to be clear, this is strictly a university thing. This isn't for secondary mm-hmm. schools. This is a university because Nigeria has a lot of publicly funded universities, right? Which used to be the glory that back in the day you wanted to go to an Abu Zaria, you wanted to go to a Unilag, you wanted yeah. to go to a Nigerian um, Osaka University, you wanted to go to Awolowo University. I don't know what they call it now, Ife. So, apart from Awolowo University, so you, you wanted to go to all these public bastions because those were the best professors, the best departments best research, which we know is very important. Mm -hmm. What Tinubu is saying is that these unis have fallen down in terms of quality. Agreed. We need to raise the quality. Agreed. We need better level public education. Agreed. My issue is, why are you creating a loan that is so unachievable for the majority of Nigerians? Like you said, even 20k is a challenge for some people. So let's just just take it step by step. And and I I don't like being put in a position to argue on Tinubu's behalf, but well, but but just but so that so that you know the I I don't I don't see what I don't see why any of those things you've mentioned are mutually exclusive. I don't see why Tinubu cannot or a government cannot first and foremost say for whoever for whomsoever can qualify for this loan in the starting point, whether it's two hundred thousand of you as a pilot program. Whether it's 500k, whether it's 10,000, 20,000 students who could not go to school before because they could not afford to go to school that can now go to school, thumbs up, good thing. Now, it, the problem, the problem with education, not just in a place like Nigeria, especially higher education, the issue you have first and foremost, population increase or population explosion. As as more more and more young people, more more and more young people wanted to go to school, putting a strain on the facilities, not enough to go around. 
Second thing is that the cost of running these higher education, higher education like institutions are often like bloated because schools fall into this trap where, like I said, student population increases, so they hire more administrators. Then economic hardship comes, leading to a decline in student population. You now have a bloated faculty and staff situation where you know the school cannot really sustain itself. It's a problem in America here as well, but specifically within Nigeria, first step definitely gets more people who can who are of schooling age, who, if your issue was money, here is a loan. All right. And this having, is having worked in, having worked in banking in Nigeria, where I've had to chase somebody, big man, to his house in Dolphin Estate because we're looking for him because we need him to answer money, answer question. The more restrict, haven't you seen all this like trader money, all this thing that they used to do in Nigeria where they actually sending bouncers. Mm-hmm. The, the way to enforce credits in Nigeria is not the same way as here. You have to, we have to, we have to put very strict controls in place to get your money. Now, I would grant you because it's still we are talking about, and because it's these people are talking about, this thing can just be another pool. So you say you want to create a loan program, all you are doing is creating a bubble where there is money. This is my problem. Most normal, very hardworking students cannot afford this flipping loan. So for me, I'm like. Why do you you need a, a a lawyer who's like ten years? That was one of the it just popped out at me. I saw that particular condition. There was conditions about um credit worthy. The typical Nigerian who is working class, right, bro? If not, you want, if you if see if you want to go to school, cannot afford the loan. If you want to go to school, if you want to go to school, if uh-huh. if there's somebody in Nigeria that wants to go to school that goes on the internet and this thing is working for them, I promise you they will find the lawyer that they're looking for. They will find whatever it is that you're looking for. They will find it. And again, I have no doubt. Is, Nigerians are resourced. This is Nigerian government. This yeah. is the Nigerian government with with its very unsophisticated way of thinking. Uh-huh. With with factoring in the you know intricacies and idiosyncrasies of the, the Nigerian context specifically. If you wanted to make loan conditions as strong as possible, so that you don't make it a free for all. You need to put in some fairly stringent conditions because you know not only are you borrowing money, you're borrowing money from the government. Like there's a heightened level of accountability. If if you're getting student loans like in in the US, I think for the, you don't need that much. Huh? You just need your stress credit, blah blah blah, like a bunch of other stuff, and the government would would give you the money. But that's because the system here is has been around for decades. If they're piloting a student loan program in Nigeria, I think. I cannot I, I cannot disagree with the idea. The intention I, I can wait I can wait for it to go wrong and criticize, but as as an as a policy, I, I just don't I cannot disagree. I, I don't with like the I, I don't I think the the spirit of the policy is good. My issue is just the nuts and bolts, and I haven't even I haven't even fully delved into it. I just find that for it could not I, have been perfect. No, of course I, I, I heard about all of that, but like it could not it could not have been it could not have been perfect because it's just that's not possible. But as it is like yeah. this, so I, I just can't disagree with it. And I mean, uh, let's 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 explore the politics as well. Because, you know, I, I was listening to Dele Farrati me on Arise, and you know, I mean the, the guy's is very strongly anti Tinibu and anti this regime. But like, yeah, I I think he, he tried to highlight the fact that like, yeah, all this thing that we're seeing is wash. Is smoke that is being blown up everybody's ass uh-huh. because they're they on, on the other hand they are talking about you know these people should withdraw that case from the tribunal 
that why is this thing still going on? And I think you, you, you should expect to hear a lot of that if the Trebona case does heat up. Like, why do these people want to destroy Nigeria? Why do they want to scatter everything? Things, things are going um, well. So, <laughs> yeah, what do you make of what do you make of the politics of it? Because it's it's deft. I I cannot. It's deft. It's not. It's, not, it's nothing yeah. easy. He's not sharing money for anybody. Easy. He's making hard calls that make him look like 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 a leader or like a person who has a plan or an idea of what he wants to do. Go back. Go back to our previous recordings. My mm. my issue with this man has never been his competence because. I always said, I remember I remember I said about technocrats, him putting people in the right place when we're talking about Shibanjo and things like that. He's known for being, in terms of organization, he understands how organizations run. And the, really, a country is just a very, yeah, very big very large organization. organization. And in terms of delegating, he's the guy. Tinubu knows how to put the right people in the right places. In terms of taking firm decisions, He's the guy. Remember when I spoke about, oh, potentially, let's see what he does about restructuring, right? And we had our doubts because we're like, ultimately, we don't know if he will stay true. Because those are those that don't know, Tinubu is a regionalist. That was this kind of reaching out. And he does because he's so politically sagacious. He understands the need. He's a pragmatist. Tinubu will do whatever it took to be president. He actually mm. believes in this, in the 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 self-determination of each region if you gave him an opportunity because that's what his background go and research him nadeko well not, this is not being made up i say that to say this he's not someone afraid to make decisions he has never been and he's playing a very very tricky game now that's going to be difficult because peter will be starting to lose the policy points because Baba, Peter B is, is, is a waste man as far as I'm concerned now. <laughs> Statesman, lost Statesman X, Statesman X obviously feels that Peter B should have been more aggressive in his actions. I, I've I I I've never expected anything else See, from him. So I'm not particularly there, there is no I, I think he's insulting not only his but my intelligence and everybody's <laughs> intelligence. If if he thinks that approach. No, it's a personal affront too. Because if Peter B is actually waking up in the morning thinking that a tribunal is going to say, Okay, sorry, Mr. Macron. Sorry, sorry, Secretary Blinken. Sorry, all the people that like you know have met with Tinubu. Sorry, Bill Gates. Can I say as well? Sorry, sorry you make a sorry, very good all point. of you. Tinubu <laughs> Tinubu is someone who, if you notice, has moved very quickly to consolidate his power. You mentioned something about him being a capitalist, and I can see because I know I know you like the free market. You know most Americans do, right? Land of the free. Your love and opportunity for for the small guy to become the big guy through just trade, 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 and trade and barter. Now I Tinubu believe appeals, capitalism has values. Tinubu yes. appeals so strongly to the way because even those that were like mm, we're not sure about him, what mm. he has done has made him very popular outside of Nigeria. Forget. Even inside of Nigeria now. Yeah, the, the coverage reflects it. You can see that he's moving in a way that they like. He's he's not saying, he's not coming saying, you know, I think when Buhari came in, Buhari was thinking more protectionist. Um, like we said, he's thinking like a dictator, really. Like, I need to cover, I need to, you know, restrict, I need to do, 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 do. Buhari you seemed know, like a cleric. He was a disgrace <laughs> to... Tinubu is someone that they see as someone they can do a deal with. 
And ultimately in business, what you want is to is ease of business, is the ease to relate to someone. When we talk about yeah. being a president, externally his stock for me, I, from what I can see, the press around him is fantastic. I must I, I have to say, like we have to be realistic. We look at the Paris summit, right? That he just attended, and I saw something about Macron pledging about six hundred thousand dollars or something into the Nigerian um education um uh, industry to try and make French a second mm. language. And that's not necessarily something that couldn't happen because those that study in Nigeria, French is already kind of compulsory. Yeah. Yeah. compulsory. Yeah. And Nigeria is yeah. kind of the gateway to the um, Francophone of West Africa. Yeah. Um, English is... So, you know, our own actual actual local languages, forget about it. So is English is the number one language, the official language as a country. Yeah, yeah. And you yeah. Can, if you don't like if you don't like these colonizers, you can take... You can take you know, this other colonizers. Yeah, yeah. 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 one thing with the French is they they know how to camouflage you know i be careful with them though they 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 they, no, keep the they, they do the shit for real they do the shit for real so like you know the the british being the og colonizers have forgotten because they also colonize white people for the most part they colonize asia they colonize all sorts of people so they, and 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 you, you you receive that reflected in the way the uk is set up there are two the french had a really cast like approach to their own colonization so you know instead of breaking bread with you everybody who the french colonized are either like dark skin you know or like the, or, or like tunis or, or like tunis or this thing are actually yeah. like uh, people like, algeria they consider them in fair algeria morocco. they consider them was morocco spain um but yeah algeria and tunisia definitely yeah yeah they, they, they consider them like legitimately like inferior um but yeah no i i, I agree with you a thousand percent that tinubu stock that, that's what i led with that like you know coverage in the financial times in bloomberg in the new york times wherever tinubu has been spoken about and his policies it's like from me oh look finally it looks like somebody is actually awake in nigeria doing some of the stuff so like i said peter b is a, is a waste man to me like you know let's let's not let's not disappointed i mean i'm done on, on, i'm on, done with okay, you let's, I don't let's, really let's um no, let's yeah let's let's just let's, let's segue no. talking about Tinubu, Tinubu is done speaking about we're talking about somebody whose stock is very high on the international stage mm. there's another popular quite in, almost in, as infamous if not more infamous world leader whose stock has fallen drastically or remains the same depending Down. on who you no, ask. No, his stocks have fallen depending depending on who you ask. Mm. Um, and I'm talking about Vladimir Putin. So unless you've been living on a rock, and if you've been living on a rock, this podcast and this conversation is not for you. Uh -huh. But unless you've been living on a rock, you are aware that like over the past like 48 to 72 hours to maybe even like a week or so some shit has been going down in russia now for the cliff notes version of what has been happening as we you know dig into the issues basically to prosecute their many wars locally and abroad russia divided, divided their forces basically into the ministry of defense the official government's defense forces and wagner group which is some kind of like private mercenary well i think the idea, i think that there was um i haven't read into kind of um pregovzin um the idea was to create a black 
ops kind of organization. And when we say black ops in this sense, we mean a deni- plausible deniability. So yeah, it's, 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 it's a normal thing. It's a normal thing. So, so the U.S. has like, uh, there was this guy that got in trouble during Trump administration. The U.S. has all this like, they're black stone. You have all these like, to prosecute wars abroad, to prosecute wars abroad, many state governments, official governments don't want to use their actual military because they want to be able to deny, as Dan was saying, that they actually did something. But for the most part, they keep these you know, paramilitary, private mercenaries at arm's length. Yeah. Because most of these societies are advanced or are actually first world. Now, Russia has been, has cultivated a myth for itself as a superpower. Yep. And the Ukraine war has exposed them as a very corrupt, very incompetent, very inefficiently run place. And a lot of smoke has been Brewing. So, like I said, the Russian, I guess, like defense system is divided into largely the official Ministry of Defense, led by currently one guy, Shogu, and Prizhogin, um, as as you know, we've tried to figure out like pronunciation. Prizhogin leads the Wagner Group, a private, like apparently very evil paramilitary group that has committed atrocities they've in Africa. Such terrible things in in Syria. Yeah, they've done terrible things like in Africa, in Syria, all over the world. Um, but they are, they were using them to prosecute the war in Ukraine as well. Now, Ukraine has the backing of most of, you know, the West, United States. So they're able to put on a good fight. And throughout the war, this Prizhogin guy, like he's the Wagner group, has been throwing shots, essentially, at the Ministry of Defense, at Shoigu, at their leadership, at the way the war is being fought, at the level of supplies. So, like, over time during the war, like, the cracks have been showing that, like, you know, there's this paramilitary private mercenary guy who is very influential, very powerful, very respected, but he's calling out, you know, the way, like, in during Trump administration, when people want to insult Trump, they don't insult Trump directly. They would they might insult, like, oh, he hired this person who is stupid. So, like, within this type of, like, autocratic societies, they can't criticize Putin directly. So, they criticize Shogu, the person who is, like, in charge of, like, the Ministry of Defense. Um, so all of this has been brewing, brewing, brewing until the guy decided, like, you know what? Fuck this. We're leaving Ukraine. We're going to take over this city, Rostov, where, you know, like the, um, where the war in Ukraine is being the headquarters of, like, the war effort, basically. We'll take over the city there. And, you know, we have some demands. And if you guys don't meet these demands, we'll go all the way to Moscow. Um, and so Moscow was on high alert, basically. The Kremlin was on high alert. There were tanks in the streets in Russia. And for like, you know, 48 hours or so, nobody mm-hmm. knew what the fuck was going on. Only for us to wake up this morning and appreciate decide that, you know, it's cool. It's all good. <laughs> I talked to Lukashenko, you know, the president of, I think, Belarus. I've talked to Big Daddy Putin. I'm done. Dan, what's, 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 what's going on? Um. You know? Very crazy things are happening. What, what do you make of, of the drama? Happening. I mean, firstly, shout out to Twitter, man. Despite um, the minor son's best attempts, um, it's still number one for breaking the news. Yeah. When, oh, when, yeah. when the news channels don't want to break the news. If you know, you know. So You can learn about anything in this world. Shout out to Twitter. Shout out to Reddit. Shout out to all the Fortune, whatever, and all these subreddits and all these... The guys who get the news out there. Shout out to y'all. Um, my first impression was, because we're talking about Wagner. Mm. There's been, 
you know, hadn't heard about, we'd heard about some paramilitaries operating out of Mali. So they were involved in rolling back French influence there. Um, Syria, um, they obviously turned the tide because Assad was on his knees and all of a sudden mm. um, he was able to kind of overcome the rebel forces there as though overnight, um, pushing them back. So I've had a think, and I've had a look into Yevgeny, Yevgeny Prizovin is or Prizovin or whatever his name is. Her name is Prizovin. Um, interestingly, he's a chef, a former criminal. Yeah, no, yeah. Mm. Um, spent did ten years for a string of robberies in 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 Russia, and he's an interesting character because obviously, in the same way Putin had these economic puppets in the form of oligarchs. Um, Preserving comes across as obviously now becoming a kind of military puppet insofar as this kind of Wagner group, which weirdly enough seems to be some sort of military consultancy arm. They have like... It doesn't, it doesn't seem like a puppet. No, no, it, well, I say... Well, the reason I say seems is because until you go and research him, he just seems like this... He just seems like a head of a paramilitary organization. However, when you dig deep into it, you see him behind Putin because he was, like we say, he ran a very popular restaurant in Moscow, um, which Putin used to attend regularly. He served at the Kremlin. He served at state dinners with um, the current King of England. You've seen him with various heads of state. This is someone who knows Vladimir Putin intimately and has his backing. And here's my take. I don't think there was ever a coup. I don't mm. think there was ever a coup. Now, I see it as two different factions of Russian power. soldiers were Russian soldiers were killed. Though, in this there were, there were clashes. Mm. There were clashes, but if anything, it's between Sergei Shoigu and Jeremisov, um, who are the co-heads essentially of the Russian army, and um, Prigozhin. And I, yeah, I Prigozhin. Yeah. What I see is that. Russia has been losing the war in Ukraine because this military quote-unquote operation was due to be done. We're told it was going to be done in three days, right? That was the kind of first intimation. It's gone on for 18 months now, and Ukraine has counterpunched at certain points. Obviously, they've suffered huge losses on both sides, definitely. But it's clear that Russia, in terms of manpower and economically, has been battered by the war. Mm -hmm. I think, and for those who don't know, in March 2024, there's a Russian election coming up. Um, and I think this is all part of Putin's election campaign. Hear me out. Russia, there are two things that count. Power and money, right? Which and part is part of this campaign? Prosecuting the war in Ukraine or this maneuver? Well, this is what I'm trying to say. The war in Ukraine has been shown to be a massive flop. Who's getting the blame for that? I think this skirmish was to decide which, whether the Wagner Group or the Ministry of Defense was going to get the blame. I think that's what this is all about. I think that it's posturing from two sections of... Because if you think about it, the Wagner Group are perfectly yeah. placed to take the blame. They're perfectly placed. They've been clandestine. You have to ask yourself some questions. They've been clandestine throughout their Africa excursions, even mm -hmm. in the Middle East. 
unless you really went to research, you didn't know they were in Syria. It wasn't told. All of a sudden now, we know that they're like Russia's most effective force. And you have to think about this. A private parallel military company upstaging the actual Russian army is very embarrassing for Sergei Shoigu and Jeremisov. No, but 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 that but that but that's the whole point now. That's that's what that's why it was good that we segued from Nigeria to Russia. And when I started this, I talked, I talked about how Russia has created this false image of themselves as a superpower, whereas they are they are actually a very corrupt, very poor country. And so part of the point that you know Prizhogin was making, and what many Russia analysts have said is that the money that they were supposed that the Russian army was supposed to use to replenish its supplies, to stock up, to feed its people. They've chopped the money. People like Shoigu and people like that, that are in charge, they've all chopped the money. And when you live in, a, in an authoritarian society like Russia, you can never tell Putin bad news. And so when Putin asks his, his cronies, how long will it take us to win the war? They're like, ah, yes, sir, of course, sir, sharply, three days, we're done. You know, three days were done and we'll be out of there. And because Putin too has been in that system for so long and he has been talking to some, you know, mystical Orthodox Russian priests who are telling him that he's the coming again of, of the great SARS, you know, Russian SARS of the past and he's here to bring Russia to a mythical future. He too believes, you know, all the smoke and everything. I think it might be giving them too much credit if you are trying to frame this as some kind of like, super 5d chess move it looks a lot like there's no way in which putin comes out of this looking good i don't think it was because, no no don't get me wrong no, no, this isn't there's no way organized by that's, putin. i'm not no, saying that's that's the undercurrent of everything putin looks very weak he looks coming weak. out he of comes out i agree he, he looks, looks extremely weak coming out of this a man um, you know we grew up watching him riding horses bare back, fighting bears, you know, hiking in the snow, shooting long shots from five miles. Like we, we the idea is this man of a strong man. And I think what this has shown is also expose the apparatus where Russia used to be very clandestine in terms of who's actually in charge of the military. What's what are the maneuvers? Who's who what, what are the organs that are moving? The Wagner group, you know, are giving out here giving statements, you know, it's giving, you know, it's giving TikTok army, you know. It, he's out here making statements. They're out here on Reddit informing of their no, they are prosecuting a 21st century or which and, century we call this now, a 21st danger. century war. Again, and this is the danger of having a private military organization. For all these countries out here running their black ops teams and all these kind of... Let this be a warning to you. Because if you... This is essentially a private company. But no, but that's, that's that's what makes this Wagner Group different. Is that unlike other private companies or private like paramilitary groups, this one is more of an extension of the army. They, so it's not just like it's not they, they are political actors too. So like like, like you described, Prijogin is a creature of Russian of the Russian underbelly, handpicked by Putin to be his person in that group. They 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 go where the Russian army wants to go but can't go. The American and like the Chinese, uh, all this paramilitary, you never hear of them, but you always hear of the Russians because the, it, it, it's like a, it's a type of, of warfare that countries like Russia are undertaking. It's kind of, it's part of their propaganda effort. So you see a Russian soldier clearly there, but they'll tear off the badge on this thing so that if you ask, they can look in your face and say, 
I'm not the one that did it. Did you see any Russian, you know, army insignia there on the person? So it's 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 a form of like you know warfare. It's a form of big of big power dick swinging basically that they do. Either way, and it's blown up. Using, blown up in his face. It's blown up in his face. They've been using the Wagner Group in Ukraine to fight to actually like you know do many things. And like I like I said throughout the war. You had been getting all these complaints from from the front line in Ukraine that our supplies are not coming on time. You were seeing all these videos of people that were being drafted into the war that didn't want to go. That were talking about the condition or the situation within the Russian bunker camps. It it has been exposed that the Russian military has been bled dry by corrupt people in there. And the, as 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 of when it was happening live, when they took over Rostov, and it was like, oh, where are they going next? Is Moscow? Like it was like nobody knew you know, what was going to happen. Like, he called Putin's bluff and Putin, in a way, like, I guess, used the Belarusian president to get Prizogin to make a concession because it, it was all about how do we fight the war in Ukraine. Um, I, I can see what you're saying in the sense that maybe it's two people jostling for power because I think, you know, when we're talking, remember when we're talking about what happened in Sudan, uh-huh. something similar was happening here in Russia where the Russian government was about to make the Wagner Group officially officially a subdivision of the Ministry of Defense, which, which will have made Prizhogin Shoigu's subordinate. So okay. it's possible that Prizhogin was like, ah, in a decrease, I will show you how incompetent your Ministry I of Defense is. Think what we I will go and take over the headquarters, you know, in and, Rostov. And when I was talking about the election, I was talking about one party trying to position itself as the base for Putin's power. One party mm. being Prizhogin saying papa look at what i did look at what i've brought you this gift of from this massive mess of the ukraine war i've got you this victory and i'll give you evidence bakhmut bakhmut was relatively you know a small city like seventy thousand people yet there was this kind of really intense focus on it and i'm starting to think that preserving set up the whole bakhmut thing as a this is a win. Like, this is an easy win for us. Like, let's give this PR. He's a PR army guy. He's a TikTok. That's what I'm going to start calling him, TikTok general. He, no, he, he I, I, about I creating the splash it. views. Like, he's... And I think what he was trying to do was to sell himself to Putin as the guy. But obviously now what he has done has backfired because he created such a frenzy. You're marching on Moscow. Are you crazy? Of mm. course, the army had to respond. Like, they couldn't just let... Even though Wagner is full of Russians... A lot of them are expert cops and a lot of them are prisoners as well. Hardened criminals. There's there's been whispers. There's been whispers that there's a feeling that Putin is weak in Moscow. So Putin can do what he did the last time he was not president when he became, I think, prime minister or something. So I think it's like, like like you're saying, I'm agreeing with you to an extent. The sense that like, it's possible that factions are actually, because somebody's head is going to have to roll. Some are going to have to take the blame for failure. It's likely going to have to be a high-profile And it's not going to be Putin. Putin has a choice. Putin faces a choice. He can either choose to die as the Russian president or he can handpick his successor. But he also needs to go out on his terms and in a way that can allow him to still maintain a propaganda victory. Because I think on the ground, locally, some of the videos and some of the reporting coming out is that like local Russians in Rostov were, one, cheering the Wagner group. And allowed them through the borders. And yeah, two, yeah. booing 
because I think the police stood down or something, uh, booing the police people when they returned. Um, so there is a possibility that, you know, Putin is growing weak within Russia. And people are like, you know what? Maybe Big Daddy is not, he's not, not that powerful. Um, he's not that guy. He's not and I think this is a very, but it's a cult of personality, so it makes it, it makes it kind of, of tricky too. I think to me that has to be the most accurate analysis of this. It wasn't a full coup in the way that they wanted us to mm. think, or that I think some of the Western outlets were gleefully trying to to project. I think there's a lot more nuance to it. I think if you look at the position of Putin, like you say, if you look at the fact that he was the spearhead for the Ukrainian campaign, and the Ukrainians are shout out to them, fighting blood, sweat. They're giving every inch to try and retain their country, sovereignty. That in itself is a bloody nose. And if there are elections coming up, which is obviously in March 2024 is happening in Russia, there will be elections. Mm -hmm. Now, how free and fair they will be, you know, I'm not going to make comment on that, but there will be some sort of elections. Now, the elections in themselves are not an issue. He will win. If he puts his name down on the ballot, he'll win. However, if those in the cabal, like we like to say on here, the cabalocracy, mm. those who are in the inner sanctums of power, who hold key positions within the Russian society, old money, old influence, heads of you know departments, the kingmakers, if they decide that Putin is no longer that guy, that's problematic. And I think that's, what you have here... Was it, it seems like Putin has been in power long enough such that there's no old money. There's there, everybody in Russia, like Papa the world makes Putin such Russia Russia has a key man risk. If you ever do economics, yeah, 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 yeah. where's Russia the key man insurance? <laughs> Russia has a key man yeah. huge key man risk. Fairhead. China has China has a well integrated structure. So even though Xi Jinping has made himself almost like a godlike figure, mm. there is a bureaucracy that is powerful. And work through. Whereas in Russia, there's a key man risk. Everybody, oligarch, everybody's propped up by Putin's largesse. There's no money that's older than Putin. And if, and if you're in Russia and you're wealthy and you're well to do, it's because Vladimir Putin made it so. Um, you know, so there, there's nobody to cross him. If, if he's going away, it would have to be him surrendering, like, you know, his position. And that, that's, that's what makes it tricky. Yeah, but even if he's to retain power, and I think that's where you've come, I think we've come to now, you see my point of view when I'm talking about the mm. functions. Someone has to take the fall, and it's not going to be him. So, preserving was probably being proactive. He's thinking to himself, okay, he has the Bakhmut, his, you know, victory, you know, they're still taking massive losses in, in Ukraine. There's the talk of Ukraine counter-offensive this, you know, coming up. Yeah. He's probably thinking, hearing some noises about the Ministry of Defense, rank and file soldiers not being happy. We've talked about resources, lack of, we've talked about even mothers talking about where are my sons, you know, in terms of mm. um, the, the, the massive loss of life and the lack of resources to look after the army. He probably thought, well, here's my position. I can... But I think he's slightly overreached as well because the fact that Lukashenko had to, you know, kind of get involved to me tells me that someone needed to give a perspective of you're pushing an army. You're actually pushing an army towards a standoff where if they'd gotten to Moscow, 
and then things kicked off, it would be a case of look at what you started. And then who started what would not really be he would have caused Russia in itself a massive, massive problem because you're fighting a war on one front and then you open up a front at home. That would have been, you know, yeah. kind of potentially... You know, the, the front was already open. And I think, to to be fair, I don't think Prisjogin himself ever referred to what he was doing as like a... Oh, no, he was very careful with his words. Everybody oh. else, everybody else <laughs> was using the cool language, but he was very careful with his words. He yeah. kept talking about like how the war in Ukraine was being fought how people had let down Emperor Putin or like, you know, God King Putin, how it was everybody else's fault that things were going wrong, but Putin and how he knew what, what was the right thing to do basically for the situation. Look, I said getting involved, I think, you know, was that so, so it wouldn't be as if, I think, so it wouldn't be as if Putin himself was negotiating yeah, cause I didn't directly. Because he, this is the thing. He had to, had to disown or had to like, you know, um, Disown the guy or declare him like in you know, an enemy of the state. The optics, um, yeah, the optics had to be. Yeah, the optics uh, definitely. Yeah, and I think all along, you know, I mean, there was talk of a potential assassination um, on mm. his life, but um, Prizovin is a ruthless, very ruthless man. Um, this is someone who's climbed. He's a climber. Yeah, he has climbed society. As he's climbing, let's let's not be surprised if he should not fall out of a window. No, people have a funny way of falling out of a window in Russia. Um, interesting interesting uh, the apple you know, people have a funny way of of you was know what that guy that's they say there is one kind of poison to kill him in it was it's in the Nianko, that was sad that was really weird. ah you see they put something in his wrinkles or something like or in his umbrella and the guy do this kind of very strong poison that like can kill you and nobody will know it was, one trace, it, was it was i mean it was Brilliant work. Novichok, yeah, I think it was Novichok poisoning. Yeah, it was brilliant um, work. Because that, that was basically not, it, it wasn't detectable under mm. current, you know, that was brilliant work from the British um, security services to, to find that out because it was a complex, and that's why you just, you know, things happen in this world that people don't really pay attention to. And No, uh, no the Russia, Russia one, the people, they fall out of window, just be like, oh, this chairman was... Somehow it was on the twenty seventh floor of a building, you know, and decided Slipped. to you know take Slipped. decided to take the other exits instead of going downstairs. Last last conspiracy related anything, and we just use this one to close out. Oh. A bunch of rich guys decided that they were bored. They had two hundred fifty thousand dollars, and they wanted to see no comment. They wanted to see Titanic. No comments. No comment whatsoever. Because I, I, I tried to just my boss about this the other day. I have, and I have so problems, it but I'm just like, what I'm about to say, I mean, firstly, you know, may they rest in peace because any, you know, loss of life is, is not, particularly for that young kid who's that, yeah. you know, I, I felt really, really bad once I heard about that particular story. Um, you see... And I've, you see clips of this Ocean Gate founder, you know, who's fixing things himself. Mm. Um, he's using a play, was it Logitech controller? <laughs> like, and it's, um, it's macabre because people have died, right? But mm. you really do have to question 
where does preservation come into it versus the hubris that money gives you, right? When you are that wealth, I'm not talking about, oh, you're, you're, you earn a good salary. I'm not talking about, oh, you're able to go on a few holidays. I'm not talking about, oh, you buy one or two nice assets. I'm talking about billionaires, right? And there must be a level of in, false invincibility, knowing that there's no situation that money cannot get you out of. However, nature still exists. And you must respect the ocean. Now, anybody who is going into a craft and you're being told to sign death waivers, I would strongly suggest yeah. that you consider the risk-benefit analysis. Mm. What are you gaining? Okay, is it that you want to see Titanic? Okay, you want to see Titanic, right? Okay, because we know that there is a bacteria eating away out of Titanic. They're claiming that by twenty thirty something, it'll be gone. Yeah. It's not going to exist. Okay, can humans get there safely? Can you get there safely to see it? I want to believe, and you know, because apparently this particular craft has done a number of trips, right? However. Are videos of Titanic not sufficient? Like, I, I, no, I really I mean, need to ask you're, the question. You're, 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 talking like, you're talking about hubris now because, like, there, there's, there, there are limits on you and I, like, our, our mind. There are some limits on the things that we can't even think about because our economic condition places it there. So if you're like, if you're like, oh, there's this thing I like in Italy, you know, you can't, you can't just be like, oh, maybe I just enter plane now be going to eat it. But that's how you have money that like the country that something is in will not really factor in your like so that that's the difference. You're like, oh I want to see Titanic. But some of us so some of us is like let's watch the movie. If you're if you're able to curious if you are too curious you buy the Oculus Rim connect it to YouTube. They have the five D you can see the Atlantic. If you have just cash to burn and you are a billionaire type person then you cannot you cannot be thinking that you know what actually i want to go thousands of feet underwater to see it that is curiosity that killed the cats that's 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 literally that's literally the the living out of that saying curiosity killed those cats i think what what was i mean fairly interesting to me was um, like I said, you know, we've expressed our condolences and we've dealt with it, I think, as best one can without kind yeah, of... Yeah, I'm not express condolences. I, I, I think, I mean, for the 19-year-old kid. For the 19-year-old Bro, kid. For the 19-year-old I'm kid. not expressed any condolences. But <laughs> moving, moving past that potentially contentious situation, this <laughs> statesman, don't, don't provide your opinion. No, 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 don't provide... No, 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 no. Don't, provide, don't provide your opinion. Um, <laughs> the reaction of the Coast Guard, Canadians, British, oh no, I don't think British were involved, French, US was quite interesting. When you juxtapose this this time, a very, very sad occurrence in the Mediterranean where there was an overloaded boat um, that capsized mm. because certain authorities, I believe the Greek being one of them, refused or delayed assistance mm. and a lot of lives were lost hundreds um including very young children when you look at the response because the speed you know sunday i remember sunday was father's day 
you know, I came back in from, from, you know, um, spending Father's Day with dad and stuff. And you come in and I saw the news and by Monday morning, there was, there was already sobs in the water looking for this thing. There was mm. already sonar. There was already, you know, and the French had already sent across a craft and, and you're mm. just thinking, and it's something really for, for, for society as a whole to really come to grapple with. What no, not the really. value of life? They, I, I think it's perfectly grappled with. I mean, it's grappled with, but I mean, it's... there needs to be more acknowledgement. There needs to be more acknowledgement. No. No, because because the acknowledgement will not make us comfortable. Come on, Dan. What are you talking about? Bro, we're not here if, to make people comfortable. No, 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 no. no. If, if okay, then I call bullshit. Because why are you working hard if not to be able to avail yourself of privilege? I would never. Excuse me. I would never. You would never go. Never go, you would never go give me a billion. A I'll show you. Give me a billion dollars. Never go into a thousand fifty two Sure, but if you have a billion dollars. The day everybody, the day everybody's waiting in the airport because there's flight problem and it's so hot, children are crying, they don't have water. Will anybody stop you, Mister John, from entering your private jet and flying to no, your place? No, but that's different. That's different. Such is life. I would so never enter a remote airport. Xbox if controlled tube. Just because no, no, no. I wanted this. to, you know, I'm not, I'm not giving condolences to anybody in this situation. So if, if poor Mohammed, if poor Mohammed or Abdul Salam entered the wrong carriage from from Somalia and got lost in the sea in the Mediterranean Sea, and they could not find him, do you know why? Because nobody gives a fuck about him. That that's just the unfortunate truth. Nobody gives a fuck. It's why the whichever border security at Greece or whatever could look themselves and go and go to sleep at night peacefully, knowing that they turned back a busload of, of, of people. And they got lost in the sea. There was no coverage. But you know what? If a billionaire goes missing, people care. And kids, I'm sorry, but that's just the way life is. It's perfectly grappled with. We all understand this. We all know it. I don't think it makes us. Unc- I don't think we. It makes all, us uncomfortable to talk about sometimes. All acknowledge it though, and I think that's the point. What 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 does acknowledgement look like? Like there, there's no it's, in no, media, no. it's in it's in kind of those that disseminate this information, being upfront about it. It's in not hiding behind these code words of, um, you know. Um, influential individuals or um, those that contribute greatly to society. I mean, most billionaires are billionaires because generations and generations before them were co-opting or using their ill-gotten advantages to subjugate and siphon cash from others. So the fact that you're a billionaire now, very Self-made billionaire that I can actually say I can vouch for is Rihanna. In this generation, Rihanna and LeBron James. Those are the two no. people that I know because I don't really follow all these billionaires. I don't know. What are you? So are you trying to tell me? Are you trying to tell me that most of our billionaires, if, if a famine breaks out, else. no, if, if a famine breaks out, let, let's take your two good billionaires now. And we've kind of, we've kind of, we've gone off the rails completely here. But let's take your two good billionaires now, LeBron and Rihanna. If there's a famine that strikes the land, are you trying to tell me that LeBron and Rihanna will not be entitled to use their massive wealth to make sure that them and their own family do not receive benefits? Of course. Will you? Will you? Will, will you? Um, will you? 
condemn them for not spending all their money to make sure there's nobody that goes hungry. No, but you don't do just because you're extremely wealthy, don't do dumb shit. That's oh yes, I'm with you on that. That's why I'm not giving condolences. Yeah, you know, I think I I, 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 I can say it's sad though, but this was like curiosity for the the kid no 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 for the kid though because he didn't want to go from what we're told he didn't want to go and he was kind of um you know peer pressure his father is his father that killed him and 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 people are people are coming up with conspiracies i'm not hearing any interesting yeah i'm not interested in conspiracies though i think if if you want to tell me a conspiracy give me bermuda trans oh that they're hiding give me they're all alive and all that 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 they went to like because it's it's possible that like you know how like um the branch davidian some kind of cause they can be like okay today we're going to kill ourselves because we want to ascend to a higher plane maybe there's jazz under the water that they all went there to go and no Give me, give me better conspiracy. Don't give me like, oh, it's, it's the CIA and there's some people are hiding. That's boring. Give me evil spirits. Give me something. Give me like, I saw this meme of how like the ghosts of Titanic are just, <laughs> oh hey, hey guys, you know, welcome, welcome this thing. Um, but yeah, man, in this life, have money. If yeah, if if because Bonner Boy, Bonner Boy said, oh, have sense. Me. Wait, wait, wait. It's not just to have money. Have sense in this life. Have, have money. Money with sense. Money have sense. with sense. Even if you don't have sense, have money because if you die in a foolish way, the world will stand still and everybody will talk about you after after you've died. People, nations, governments will send people to look for you. So even if you don't have sense. Have money because, like Bonner said, nobody will remember that you try your best. Nobody will remember all the time that you practice. You only want to turn up on time for his concerts before he starts dishing out life advice. But hey, hey, thank you very much for listening to this episode. Of it's been real. I'm sure you've been uh, informed, entertained, um, <laughs> convicted in no equal measure. Um, like, comment, share, and we'll see you on the next one. Safe. Cheers.